Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Publitz, and welcome back to the 12th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 15th, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because I feel like there's a lot to discuss and cover, kind of tying into a little bit what we had as the Twitter question last week, but how that kind of will tie into what we talk about this week. And there's been a lot even in science this week that we've had to cover this week. There are some things that made some news that I feel like it works actually very well with what the gospel text will cover this week. So let's just jump right into it by covering the Twitter question from last week, which is, where are you being challenged? And one of the responses we got back from a loyal listener was discussing and talking about how in his lifetime, how science has continued to push itself and challenge itself to realize that there's a lot of things that we don't understand. And out of lack of understanding, that pushes us forward. But it's also from that idea of then recognizing that what we don't understand allows us to understand more. And I think that's one of the things that we'll get into a little bit more this week. But I think that's a good way of how we are challenged. And I think it's one of the ways we have to think about it, our faith too. Our faith shouldn't be something that is easy to explain and easy to comprehend. There always needs to be a part of it that's being challenged. It's being stretched. It's like going to the gym. They talk about if you're not going to the gym, you're losing muscle mass. And in doing that, technically in certain ways, your body is getting weaker. So what are you doing then to make sure that you're going to the gym consistently to continue to build that muscle continue to build that faith of yours but also in that there are going to be times where it is hard you kind of are plateauing and that's those wrestles that's those challenges and that's not necessarily a bad thing it's probably your body is getting ready to really explode once it gets beyond that plateau so i think it's one of those things that we have to think about and consider So let's just jump into it. The semi-continuous reading is from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, and chapter 3, verses 3 to 14. The first part of this text, the first three verses, are essentially stating that King David dies peacefully. That's with, he slept with his ancestors. That's how that's being translated and trying to tell the historical perspective there and recognizing how long he reigned and that Solomon then is going to the throne. The big section here is talking about, again, how Bathsheba was working to try to get Solomon to be king. And there's a lot of inner turmoil there, especially with David's descendants, you want to say it that way. So it picks up then in chapter 3, and this is where the Lord is coming to Solomon. And starts by kind of asking, you know, Solomon, what do you want? What are the things that you are desiring? There's plenty of things that you can have. And Solomon comes up with a really wise response coming in verse 6. You have shown great and steadfast love for your servant, my father, David, because he walked with you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this greatness of steadfast love. And you have given him a son to sit on the throne today. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, 
I do not know how to go out and come in. And he continues then with this very elegant thing of saying that he needs the wisdom to be able to discern good from evil and to be able to govern the people well. God then comes back and because you have answered so well, because you're asking for wisdom and not something that passes away, there will also then be riches and honor given to your name because of how you answered this. The psalm then that goes with that is Psalm 111. And this is continuing that idea that we're giving praise to God, recognizing how much God does for us, like we have in a lot of Psalms, going through the majesty of the work, the righteousness, the deeds, the graciousness, the merciful, how much God is doing for us and how it really isn't us. But it's that through that process of God working within us and through us and us giving God the glory that we understand that there is a fear of the Lord that then helps us start to understand actual wisdom to be able to discern good from evil. The other reading that you possibly could have for the Old Testament reading is from Proverbs chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. This again plays upon that wisdom pillar and again Proverbs being a book of so much of wisdom and talking about setting a table and it could easily kind of be interpreted a little bit here kind of like a communion type of feel here because it's talking about the bread and wine but also especially that as you'll see in the gospel text talking about the bread of life come eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed coming from verse 5 this idea of how we're being welcomed into the family of God. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 34, verses 9 to 14. And again, this is then recognizing that if we continue to work and spend time with God, that he continues to provide. But it's something different than what the world gives. Verse 10 is kind of interesting. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And so this idea of that we need to continue to recognize and seek God, and in that, then we will be able to discern from good and evil, but also then being able to understand that that's the desire that continually fulfills us to be able to go out and really grow as people. The second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. This continues that theme that we're finding this week of being careful who you live with, not as unwise, but as the wise. And coming right from verse 15, recognizing how because we are filled with the Spirit, because we have been then recognizing that we're called to this deeper meaning in life, that then we need to live that way. We need to recognize that. We need to give thanks and praise and sing to God. We need to be able to recognize how and what that all means. And that does mean at certain times we're going to live differently than what the rest of the world tells us to do. The gospel text this week is out of John chapter 6 verses 51 to 58. This continues that bread of life discord that we have been working through in week three of four weeks of going through this. But then it will kind of continue for a couple weeks after that also. 
I am the bread of life, come down from heaven, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. The people, the Jews around him are questioning what the heck does this mean? Jesus responds with very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide with me and, and I in them. Just as the Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that of your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Picking up from verse 53 through 58, this idea again that Jesus kind of opening up and kind of giving us a foretaste of communion. And this is the closest we really get to communion in John, but also recognizing that there is something deeper that God is able to provide us than what man is able to provide. There is something that God is trying to have us connect with and capture the essence of who God is to be able to understand then what God is calling us to be. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug, Bo, Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy checking out their work, having different ordained ministers looking at and discussing these, these biblical scholars going through commentaries and their Working Preacher podcast. I really, really enjoy working through and listening to on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast week to week. But I also really enjoy using Vanderbilt's Revised Common Lectionary. If you haven't checked out Vanderbilt's library using the Revised Common Lectionary and the artwork that they also tie in and how they also have all the readings so well organized together, I'd highly recommend checking that out. And so if you haven't checked out Working Preacher or the lectionary coming from the library at vanderbilt.edu, I would recommend checking out both these sources. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Wisdom. Wisdom is a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around. It's the idea of good and evil, the idea of being able to tell right from wrong, things that are hard for us to just sometimes in the moment be able to draw black and white, but we all know in this world there is lots of shades of gray. But in that, there are times when shades of gray become black or white. In this last week, we definitely had one come out. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, which is a branch of the United Nations, came out with a study this week that really shook a lot of people. 200 scientists working on this for over three years, coming from 65 nations, reported that this climate change report that they come out with once a decade, that humanity is in code red, which is kind of alarming, kind of concerning. In a lot of ways, it calls out and saying that a lot of these goals that we have put together, even like in the Paris Climate Agreement of 1.5 degrees Celsius, are quickly falling out of reach. It's still possible, but there needs to be drastic 
change and drastic change immediately for us to be able to do this. And in all of this, it goes through, and I'm actually going to attach a really, really well done article by ABC here in the United States going through and just recognizing all the different storms and powerful things that we've had been going on worldwide, not just the fires in California and the extreme heat here in the United States, but fires in Greece and floods around the world are catastrophic. Germany having cities that have been there from the 1500s or longer flooding out, having major damage. These are things that they're talking about. How often were you hearing floods that are once in a thousand year floods on an annual basis, yearly, how this is continuing to happen. And this is where that report from the IPCC states that it's irrefutable evidence that it's human influence that is doing this. Irrefutable evidence that we are to blame. So this week, when you hear something like that, you need to dig into it a little bit more and read through it and really start just recognizing all the craziness that has been going on around the world, not just the pandemic, but just how much the world is struggling. The world is having lots of issues and affecting a lot of people, making more and more refugees of countries due to natural catastrophes. How there's more and more discussion talking about ocean level changes and how that's going to affect humanity. How much of the population of the world lives within X amount of miles from the coast, thus meaning that X amount of people are going to become refugees of natural catastrophes. On top of that, a really interesting article came out this week talking about how woolly mammoths from doing tests, isotope tests on their tusks are able to recognize like where it was and it was one specific woolly mammoth here, but recognizing how they are very confident that it is a climate change and or human interference that in this woolly mammoth's case caused its death. Again, another victim, we could put it as, of climate change. I know this has been a contentious topic over the last 20 years plus, but it's at what point do we start recognizing and fully understanding that we are to blame for this? And not just to point the finger and say, yep, you're to blame and walk away. We all have a role in this. And so the question is, is are we going to sit there and have a pity party? Are we going to sit there, ignore it? Or are we going to sit there and absorb it and then try to make a difference? Because that's one of the optimistic things that is brought up in this paper from the IPCC is that there is still a glimmer of hope if and only if we take this seriously and make drastic changes, drastic changes. The hard thing with that is that means not just political drastic changes, that means day-to-day life drastic changes. In the Paris Agreement, the agreement stated that we were going to try to prevent a 1.5 degree Celsius increase. Right now, we are at 1.2. We're moving extremely quickly. And this is all from about 1960. A 1.2 degrees Celsius increase. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but as we are digging into these articles and talking about there already has been damage to like our oceans and the amount of things that have 
cause them to warm that's going to change it for generations now. So what are we going to do about that? We've already noticed before how climate change and human interaction has caused extinction rates, and we've talked about this before, to increase drastically. So what are we going to do about that now? Why do I bring this up with this text? Jesus comes down to the world and starts talking about these things in a kind of a weird, gruesome way, in a way we don't fully comprehend and understand. And talking about how we have to live our life differently. And that understanding, and especially get this in the writings of Paul, understanding what Jesus means for us. Understanding the relationship that God craves for us changes us. And what does that look like? What does that mean? How does that transform us? I think one of the first things is recognizing if we have the fear of the Lord, going back and recognizing that this place that we are living is a temporary situation and it's a gift. One of the things that I ended up having done here in the last few weeks is house sitting for people. And the idea being is that I'm kind of watching things, taking care of things, helping maintain things. So the house comes back and it's in as good, if not better condition than when I arrived. Are we doing that? Because we are tenants of this gift that we've been given. Right now, it appears that we're not. And even though I'm still fairly young in the game, I have blood on my hands too especially coming from a first world nation and being nearly 30 years old, I have made choices that at times are not good for my brothers and sisters in other places. Do I have the wisdom to understand the impact of what I am doing? Or do I sweep it under the rug and not take the time and thought and consideration to think about them? And that's not even just my brothers and sisters who look like me who are homo sapiens. How about my brothers and sisters who don't speak a dialect that maybe I understand easily? How about recognizing and understanding the impact that they have on my life? How about the understanding that when I am reducing their habitat, I am making it harder for them to live? Recognizing the need for those types of creatures around me. Recognizing that if we are moving forward into climate change, there are going to be difficult things because of species that we have overlooked. Some recently, some in very distant past. Woolly mammoths walking the equivalent of two times around the earth in a mammoth that lived for 28 years. The amount of compression of ice to be able to help make glaciers and help make permafrost was extremely useful. We have to recognize and be able to understand the gift that we have been given. And the thing is, is now that as we're having more and more science support the hypothesis that we are making irrefutable claims of changing our environment to the point where we are changing things so that we cannot live well or drastically have to change our lifestyle, what are we going to do about that? I think of a natural example is great blue herons. Great blue herons nest in trees in colonies. These big birds are about three to four feet tall. But their poop is so acidic 
that it eventually will kill the tree, making it impossible for them to remain in that colony forever. At some point, they have to move to let the environment recover. They make it so comfortable they have to leave. Brothers and sisters, we are in that place. We are getting to that point where we have made it so comfortable that we aren't being challenged or that when we are being challenged, we look the other way. The environment is trying to challenge our theory and understanding of what life should look like. And it's a question of of how seriously are we going to take that? How much pressure are we going to put on ourselves and others and businesses and governments to take responsibility for this? This is the gift that we have been given. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to ask for the wisdom to understand the process of what we need to do to be able to help us get through this? Are we going to sing songs of praise to recognize the beauty of what God has given us and to then have the fear of the Lord to actually then use the wisdom that he then bestows upon us? Are we going to recognize that this place that we've been given is a place for us to be able to connect with our creator and recognize then in that 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 helps us move forward in our faith and then also being able to connect more and at a deeper level and be able to then evaluate decisions that we have made. Are we going to be like young lions consistently having want and hunger to continually just move and push and push to the point where we die? Because at some point there is nothing more to want or to eat because it's gone and it didn't fulfill. Are we being careful with our time, realizing that we are here for a period of time? We being a conscious group of animals that really are conscious of time, are we recognizing that we are only here for a period of that? And what impact are we going to leave? How much does the bread, the flesh, and the blood nourish us and change us? Are we going to let that happen? Because to let that happen, we have to acknowledge that there is things greater than what we can understand. There are things that are out there that are beyond us that change us. As our faith continues to evolve, our understanding of the world and the things around us continue to need to evolve also. If our faith is needing to be challenged, how about our understanding of how we should live being challenged? Are we going to take these warnings that we've been continuing to get throughout my lifetime and recognize them that this isn't just faux pas? The more and more and more support are saying that we are causing this. We are making changes, irrefutable evidence of human influence of change. That we are accelerating this, making it harder and harder for other brothers and sisters of even non-homo sapien descendants and actually making it harder and harder for us. What are we going to do about that? To me, it's when you have a text like this and the, the happening of the science community bringing this out at the same time, this is where the rubber meets the road. Are we going to recognize that our belief and understanding of Jesus and our relationship with God changes us to recognize the beauty and the gift of the place that we are in to force us and challenge us to actually take action to change? Because God talks about when we 
ask God into our lives. It changes us. So what are we going to do then as a follower, as a community that pushes us, that challenges us to change, to live outwardly our faith? What are we going to do? Are we going to do something? Are we going to ignore it and act as if we don't recognize that this is a gift? So the Twitter question I have for you this week is, how has God changed you? How has God changed you over your faith journey, whether it's just beginning or it's been a relationship for a long time? How has God changed you? For me, a lot of the connections that I've had with God are out in nature. And that's for me over the lifetime that I have had just a brief glimpse of. I've seen a lot of change. I've seen a lot of things that I'm starting to recognize myself that it's, this is scary. And to me, where am I going to put my feet to the fire and start saying, what can I do to help change? Where can I apply pressure for change? This is something we can't escape. This is the perfect embodiment of the church where we're all in this together as individuals and as a corporate group. So what are we going to do about that? I think this is something that we need to ponder and to chew on. If we have the faith of God inside of us and that we are truly trying to live this out, to have this spirit that lives beyond our years and to have that eternal perspective, do we have the wisdom to understand the errors of our ways and to make strides to change them, no matter how difficult they are? We'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.